Hey there, it's Nick. I hope you enjoyed this episode and the many others here in this fine podcast feed. Now, from time to time, we'll have more fresh episodes for you to listen to here, but the latest and greatest stuff is available on the Luminary Podcast app, so check it out. Thanks, and enjoy the show. I'm going to take your mind to a state of enhanced mental imagery. You will clearly remember everything I tell you, and you will do everything that I tell you to do. I want you to imagine being on a beautiful, deserted beach. I want you to picture yourself lying on a beach chair, staring out at the ocean. You're watching the waves gently rolling into the shore. Wave after wave, gently rolling into the shore. And with each wave, you're becoming more and more relaxed, calm, and at peace. You can feel yourself relaxing now. You're watching wave after wave, gently rolling into the shore. And you are now totally relaxed, calm, and at peace. I'm now going to count from one to five, and when I get to the count of five, you will remember to do what you have been trained to do, and you will be awake, alert, and absolutely confident that you will pass your polygraph test. One, two, three, four, five. From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love and Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, Relevant Questions, featuring Doug Williams. I actually couldn't believe they actually paid me to do it. I loved it so much, the first, especially the first year. They sent me to New York City for polygraph school at the National Training Center of Lie Detection in New York City, and... And in 1972, I became a certified polygraph expert. So after that, I just uh, was running polygraph examinations for criminal suspects, police applicants, and all internal affairs investigations. When you're working in internal affairs, you've... you've, uh, narrowed your circle of friends down to a big fat zero because the police officers are all, all frightened of you too because they, they, they've seen you come into their little break room prior to their, their, their shift change and I walk, I've walked in there quite a few times and they'd be in there shooting pool and having fun talking to one another and I'd walk in and you'd get dead silent everybody'd look at me I'd run two or three test the day. Some, some days I didn't have any at all to run, but it was just, that's all I did was run polygraph tests. I became very cognizant of the fact that, that fear has a very distinct smell. I, I've heard it described as a mixture of shit and spinach, and that's a pretty close description. It, it truly does have a very distinct odor 
the smell lingered in my office. I smelled it every day. It was there when I closed up the office at night. It was there when I opened up the office in the morning, almost like a, almost like a, a fog or, or something. I got really good at doing what I did. I could literally scare the hell out of people with that thing. For instance, one of the props they told you to use was a little plastic heart like the doctors have in their office that, that, can, that comes apart and shows the left ventricle and the right ventricle and, and, and cutaways and what have you. And it gets you that and leave that sitting on your desk. When you get into your interrogation, you tell everybody that comes in, you tell them, okay, now when you lie, you'll not be able to control yourself. You reach over there and you get that little heart and you take it apart and you put one part in your left hand and one part in your right hand and you start getting them and you say, okay, now you know when you lie, when you lie, your heart's going to start beating faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and you slam those pieces of heart back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, faster and faster and faster and you'll not be able to control it. You will not be able to lie to me without your heart going bam, 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 bam. It was just so dramatic, but I tried it a few times. It actually worked pretty good. You know, it got people's attention. I don't know if it was because of the demonstration or because they just thought, man, I'm, I'm talking to a crazy man here. It's a damn good interrogation technique. Since we can't beat the hell out of people uh, physically, let's just beat the hell out of them psychologically and, and coerce them into a confession. And that's, that's what the polygraph is. It's a psychological billy club that will coerce a person into a confession. It's not a lie detector, and we're stupid if we use it as such. But there are occasions when it's real good to put pressure to bear on a criminal to get a confession. So you have some... Um... So you have some you have some gear here. Yeah, let what me is, just. Well, I'm just, so basically, what we have here is a very antiquated, very crude instrument. It was uh, uh, invented in 1922, and it hasn't changed significantly since it was invented in 1922. The polygraph test itself, poly meaning many and graphos meaning tracings is what the polygraph stands for. So the many tracings that the polygraph records are your blood pressure, your pulse rate, sweat activity on your hand, and your breathing. Next thing we're pulling out here is GSR electrodes record what's known as the galvanic skin response, which is basically just uh, increase or decrease in the sweat activity in your hand. This here is just a cardio cuff, similar to what the doctor uses to test your blood pressure in the doctor's office. So what we have here is a machine that can watch you breathe, watch two fingers on your right hand sweat, and watch your heartbeat. So the more heinous the crime under investigation, the more likely an innocent person is going to fail. Jacob, you're accused of molesting the 11-year-old neighbor girl, Sally. You're already in a state of shock because just the accusation alone is enough to ruin you. You're sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, what will happen to me? What, I mean, just, it, just what about my job, my neighbors, my friends, my family? This is just unbelievable. So you're stressed to the max already. You're already starting to sweat just thinking about it. I'm already sweating. 
just thinking about this situation has already got you stressed out, and it's just an imaginary situation. Imagine if it were real. When did your doubts in the polygraph first begin to manifest? I'd been at it for a while, and, uh, and of course, I knew I could control my breathing, and, but I never could figure out how for sure how to control the, the cardio and, and blood pressure and the GSR until a friend of mine came in and started talking about the pucker factor and tightening up the anal sphincter muscle when he was under stress. And so after he left, I just hooked myself up to the polygraph and pumped up the air in the cuff and tightened up my anal sphincter muscle like I was trying to stop a bowel movement. And lo and behold, there was a most gigantic, wonderful, naturally occurring cardio rise accompanied by a GSR rise. So just by simply tightening up your anal sphincter muscle, you can cause a reaction at will. Then all you had to do is figure out the appropriate time to do it. It takes a a-hole with a little training to beat an a-hole with a little training. Shortly thereafter, I quit. Wrote a letter of resignation. I, I was a cryptographer in the, in the military, studied cryptography. <laughs> so I, I started each sentence with a different letter, just as my own little private joke. If you looked at the first letter of each sentence in my resignation letter, it spells out bullshit. And uh, I commenced my crusade. I bought a polygraph instrument. I got an old 1967 Chevy panel truck. I rigged it up to where I could live in it, made me a little fold-down bed, poured a potty, put me in some water supply, put me in a little Coleman temp stove and a little homemade desk. I could fold my bed out and put my little homemade desk up there and put my typewriter on there. So I would just live in my little 67 Chevy panel truck and or construction jobs enough to, to keep body and soul together. Then I would just move from city to city. Started down in uh, Houston and then Dallas and F- Fort Worth and Indianapolis and Chicago and various other places. Every, every city had their own talk show host. And then back then they used to have, um, out in front of every convenience store, there used to be a whole bank of uh, payphones. I conducted hundreds of radio talk shows standing in a phone booth outside with the 7-Eleven clerk swatting off sitting mosquitoes and what have you. Every time I went on the radio talk show, I was a great success. I mean, I'd light up the phones like crazy. Everybody had a horror story about polygraph tests. How about one that goes up like this? This is a young lady working as a private contractor. She goes in, takes a polygraph test. The polygraph operator tells her that she's withholding information about marital infidelity. She says, I am not. I am I'm newly married. I have not I've not been unfaithful at all. He says, well, that's what the polygraph says here. You had a reaction on this question. And as a result, you're not going to be able to pass the polygraph examination, so you have now lost your job. Now, the tragic part is not only did she lose that job, but she was blackballed. They put you on a blacklist, and you are no longer allowed to ever work for the federal government again in a position requiring trust. Now, that is bullshit. Then I would uh, put on seminars. Uh, the seminars would be very simple. I'd done them in union halls, uh, churches, uh, people's living rooms. I've had as low as uh, five people and as high as uh, 
close to 5,000. I had my polygraph up there. I said, okay, here's the, here's the deal. I'm going to teach you in five minutes or less how to control every tracing on this polygraph chart. And I'd look around the audience, and I'd find the one who had the most skeptical look on their face, and I'd point to them, and I'd say, you don't believe a damn word I'm saying, do you? They'd kind of shrug or something, and then I'd say, come up here. Come up here. Okay, here's how the polygraph works. Okay. okay. Here and get you hooked up to this machine. Now, just lean forward and raise both arms. Let me get finished hooking up here, and we'll... So what we're going to do today is I'm going to set you down here on this little chair, and I'm going to hook you up to this so-called lie detector and in just a matter of a few minutes I will teach you how to control every tracing on the polygraph chart by simply using what I call mental imagery so we'll get we'll explain more about that here in a minute let me get around here and hook up this in order for you to pass this test you've got to tell on telling the truth has nothing to do with it you've got to produce for the polygraph examiner what he expects to see from a truthful person on this chart. The, the premise behind the polygraph is that if you are lying, you will have a reaction on the relevant questions and no reaction on the control questions. Well, now, what are the relevant questions? Well, the relevant questions are obviously those that pertain to the point at issue. For instance, if the test is about whether you leaked the information to the Washington Post, then the questions would be pertaining to that leak. Did you tell the Washington Post reporter about the uh, president's speech? Do you know anyone who had access to the president's speech that may have given it to the Washington Post? On and on. They will then intersperse questions called control questions. The control questions are innocuous questions that have nothing to do with the pointed issue. They are completely irrelevant. Have you ever lied to anyone in authority to keep from getting in trouble? Have you ever stolen anything? All those types of irrelevant control questions. And then what I want you to do is just basically relax on the relevant questions and then show me a nice little reaction, think of something frightening on the control questions. So here we go. I want you just to close your eyes All right. and relax. I want you to picture yourself lying on a beach chair, staring out at the ocean. You're watching the waves gently rolling into the shore. Wave after wave, gently rolling into the shore. Now I instruct you to do this. When you hear the relevant questions and label the relevant questions and answer the relevant questions, you will only picture yourself lying on this beautiful beach and you will only see the waves gently rolling into the shore. Relevant questions. Wave after wave. Relevant questions. Gently rolling into the shore. Relevant questions. Totally relaxed. Calm and at peace. Open your eyes. You know that relaxed feeling you got right now? Yes. The way to trigger that 
is to simply label the questions as relevant questions in your mind before you answer them. And then you've got to be able to manipulate a reaction on the control question. So in order to manipulate a reaction on a control question, I want you to live through your most frightening experience or your worst fear on the control questions, okay? What kind of frightening scenario are you going to run through your mind? Going spelunking and losing my flashlight. Oh, that would do it. I would, I would absolutely be claw marks. My fingernails would be gone, and I'd be stark raving mad in a matter of about five minutes. Okay, so that's what you're going to do. Now, what we're going to do, instead of asking you actual class questions, I'm just going to say relevant, and you'll think relevant in your mind and answer yes. And then I'm going to say control, and you'll think control in your mind and answer no on the control questions, okay? Okay, now we're going to put some air in the cuff here. And we're going to get this show on the road. Relevant? Yes. Relevant? Yes. Control? No. Control? No. Above all else, the devil hates to be mocked. And I'm mocking them. I'm showing them what for the frauds and the con men that they are. And they despise me for it. The things that motivated me to stop using this and start fighting it were, in, in part, my guilt for having done it and trying to make restitution for all that I'd done, but also the knowledge that people were being absolutely destroyed by this in, in so many ways. I, I used to hear them brag in their polygraph uh, meetings that, well, I hit the local drugstore for 50 tests to fill two openings. What that means is, They've called 48 other people liars when they may or may not have been lying just so that they can continue to run polygraph tests at $250 a whack. Polygraph operators were just ripping people off and destroying people's lives just so that they could unjustly enrich themselves. In 1985, I was finally invited to go uh, testify in Congress. consideration of the bill H.R. 1212, which the clerk will report by title. A bill to prevent the denial of employment opportunities by prohibiting the use of lie detectors by employers involved in... There was a big gallery, a lot of news people and stuff back there, and a lot of, lot of spectators and stuff. And there was, during the first two or three testimonies, there was, there was a hubbub in the back, kind of like a, a murmuring and people talking to one another, like they weren't paying attention because they were all spouting the same old company line and everything. This is a rights vote. And what separates us from the Soviet Union is the debate that's going on in this house today. It's and so I start, and I, and I still remember how I started. I said, my name is Douglas Gene Williams, and I plead guilty to crimes against humanity. I was a right-wing terrorist. I tortured thousands of people, documented more confessions than most Gestapo agents, violated countless constitutional rights, and had absolutely no regard for human dignity. <laughs> my, I was a well-trained terrorist, and my weapon of choice was the polygraph. And I noticed as I was going through that, the murmuring stopped became dead silent and then I started with the rest of my testimony and I sat there and 
waxed eloquent for quite some time. Now I remember when I got off, when I finished testifying, there was a horrific uproar from the crowd, flashbulbs going off, and uh, people saying, we, we need to interview with you, blah, 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 blah. It was amazing. And then here comes uh, Chairman uh, Martinez wading through the crowd. But he said, we've never, we've never had a polygraph operator come up and, and testify to the truth of the, the problems with the polygraph. And he said, I really think this is the missing element that will enable us to get this, this bill passed into law. It was just unbelievable. Uh, that, that testimony there led to me going on uh, CBS Nightwatch and just a few months after that going on uh, CBS 60 Minutes and just and radio talk shows. It was unbelievable response. Just how easy is it to lie and get away with it? And is it possible to beat a lie detector test? It's, it's a sad, sick joke, this antiquated uh, last vestige of witchcraft. Doug Williams, a former police sergeant and polygrapher, has performed more than 6,000 tests. He knows as much about lie detector tests as anyone. And he says they don't work. Well, Jack, it would be unethical to tell you exactly how to beat it. But the bottom line is that you can control it with breathing and the tightening of certain muscles. And after that... It sounds like we're about to run out, but I felt like there was finally a very real chance of destroying this terribly abusive evil industry. And I was successful in doing that to a large part. In 1988, the Employee Polygraph Protection Act was passed, and it put hundreds and hundreds of polygraph examiners out of business. Where were you when you heard that that was going to become law? I was laying on the couch. And I was watching, uh, watching the news. Lie detectors. They've been around for a long time now, 75 years. And it said, but a majority of states don't the allow The Senate passed into law the Employee Polygraph Protection Act, which prohibits the use of the polygraph in the private sector. It is now a federal crime if an employer requires an employee to submit to a polygraph examination. It was almost like I was picked up off of that couch and just raised above the heads of these millions of people who no longer had to be subjected to this trauma. And I, that I was just being held up there. And it, it, was, and I could, it was a physical sensation as well as an emotional and mental sensation. It was, I could feel myself literally physically being lifted up off of that couch. And I, it was just almost as though, as though I could hear the cheers and the uh, laughter and the joy coming from all these people. It's it an amazing experience. If you'll look back in history, Anybody that's ever done anything, uh, and I'm not putting myself in their in their shoes or elevating myself to, to their status at all, but like Solzhenitsyn or, or Mandela or or some of the other ones who who have spent their life in protesting and, and, and dissidents, and uh, and I, I'm I'm reminded of of, of that um, picture of the the Chinese man uh, in Tiananmen Square a number of years ago. And there he stood, hand up, stop. 
hand up in front of the tank, whole line of tanks. Now, he knew that wasn't going to end well for him. He knew that was not a rational act. But something inside of him compelled him to stand up in front of that tank and raise his hand in protest. And I can totally relate to that. I I was charging windmills. I mean, Don Quixote was mentally healthy compared to me. (laughs) My dad, who was a Methodist minister, taught me if I saw an oppressive situation and it was within my power to stop that oppression, that it was my duty to do so. I looked at myself as a guerrilla soldier waging a one-man war against what I saw as an, and still see as an oppressive, abusive industry. And I vowed to myself that I would do whatever it took for as long as it took to destroy that oppressive industry. In 1996, the internet was just beginning to get started, and I registered the uh, domain name polygraph.com. I am the first one to ever put an, what they call an ebook on the internet. I charge $47.45 each, and I sold in excess of $200,000 worth of books every year for about. This call is from a federal prison. My name is Doug Williams, and I'm the only licensed polygraph examiner to ever tell the truth about the so-called lie detector. Before you take a polygraph test, you must get properly prepared. Remember, failing to prepare is simply preparing to fail. So go to the store page of this website, get my manual and online video or DVD, look them over a few times, then... And then I, uh, just by popular demand... People kept calling me and writing me and emailing me and saying, man, I understand what you're saying in the manual, but I need to know for sure that I can pass this test. This is the only hurdle I have to pass. I said, well, you know, I've got my own polygraph. I'll just set up my own little deal and bring them in and and let them practice on it and make sure they know what they're doing. Worked out real good for everybody. I was making a lot of money, and they were getting their jobs that they went for. So, yeah, I, I did that for about 14 years all the way up to the time I was thrown in prison. But by this point, the Employee Polygraph Protection Act was already already in place. Yeah. Um, why, why continue with that fight? It wasn't a fight. It was a service at that point because people had to take a polygraph test to get every kind of job with the police department, intelligence agencies, Secret Service, on and on and on. And they they knew that it was a joke. So yeah, it was a service, it, and it was still somewhat of a crusade because I would I would love to see and I have advocated that we expand the Employee Polygraph Protection Act to protect all employees, not just private employees. Would folks come here to Norman to to, to come to your training, or would you go to them? Both. I, most of them by far came here because I hate to fly, so I would charge an exorbitant amount of money if I had to go somewhere else, and so most of them came here. How much would you charge per session? $1,000 if they come to me, 5000 if I have to go to them. Was there anybody, did you ever have a client who never, who could never figure it out, who could never uh, uh, learn the techniques? No. Every, it's, well, you just saw how, what's to learn. I mean, what's to learn here? 
Can, can you think of losing your flashlight when you're spelunking? Can you think about laying on the beach? Can you do those two things, Jacob? Oh, boy, I don't know. That's pretty hard there. Let me see. Think I'll be able to do that? Yeah. United States of America versus Douglas G. Williams. A dramatic reading, first undercover operation. On or about October 15, 2012, undercover A placed a telephone call to Williams' telephone number listed on the Williams' website, which connected Williams to his personal cellular telephone. It was a series of calls, actually, over a period of days. Undercover A told Williams that he was an inspector at an airport and was under investigation for allowing a friend to pass through customs with contraband. Williams promised to assist Undercover A to get ready and told Undercover A there's not going to be one problem at all. Undercover A informed Williams that he intended to lie to investigators about his involvement in illegal smuggling. And he just kept calling and kept calling, and he was the first, the only, one, the first one and only one that had ever come out and said to me that he had intended to lie. Nobody else had ever said anything like that. Williams chastised Undercover, saying, "What the fuck do you think you're doing, dumbass? Do you think you have like a lawyer confidentiality with me?" Williams continued. I haven't lived this long and fucked with the government this long and done such controversial shit and got away with it by being a dumbass. Williams then threatened not to conduct the training for undercover A, stating, I don't know if you've got sense enough to keep your damn mouth shut. He was so pathetic, that his pleading voice, and he kept calling me back and kept pleading and kept pleading and kept pleading. And After undercover A asked if there's any way Williams would train him, William stated, I'm just working on the assumption that you're telling the truth. See, that protects me. You don't have to turn around and say, yeah, like I told you, I'm lying. I'm a lying son of a bitch. What the fuck was that reason for that? Unless you wanted it on the record that I was knowingly teaching someone how to lie and cheat. About three hours later, I called him back and I said, you know, you are a believer, right? He said, yes. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll help you out here because I just don't want to see you uh, have to suffer for, for one mistake and be accused of things that you didn't do, and so. On or about October 27, 2012, Williams met undercover A at a hotel in Arlington, Virginia for private in-person training. Williams stated, now that we're alone in private, tell me what this is all about. First things first, you got my money? God, Stephen, I hope you make me a good documentary because this is such bullshit and I'm so fucking sick of reading it, I can't even begin to tell you. You can leave that in the tape if you like. You know, at that point in time, there was not any... He hadn't told me all this other stuff. They got me in, in there under false pretenses, saying that it wasn't. It, it, they already knew about this, wasn't anything else. Then when I get in there, he said, oh, I've been doing this for a long, quite a few times, and I've been making money doing this, blah, blah, blah. And he's just off-the-wall stuff that I was confused, uh, upset, and felt, like I said, I felt obligated to, to follow through with the training that he had contracted me to do. During the training, Williams instructed Undercover A, do not change your story, do not tell on yourself, and do not admit to ever seeing me or talking me or anything else. And when it was all over, he gave me a big old hug and thanked me for helping him. And I even put on my Twitter that I'd helped another person withstand another traumatic polygraph experience. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with anything I did. Dramatic effect. Second undercover operation.
Man, is this the biggest pile of bullshit I ever saw in my life. On or about February 5th, 2013, Undercover B placed a telephone call to Williams' personal cellular telephone. Undercover B told Williams that he was employed as a county sheriff and he was applying for a job with the Border Patrol. During the conversation, Undercover B told Williams that he was worried about answering questions the CBP might ask relating to sex and drugs. Williams told Undercover B, I will get you ready. Don't tell me anything that will disqualify you, and I can train you how to pass if you're lying your ass off, so don't worry about that fucking bullshit. Yeah, he arrived at the appointed time, knocked on the door, and I told him to come in. Then I go through my little exercise and have him close his eyes and read off the little script and say, okay, think of something frightening on the controls. And that's when he said that he had got sexual favors from a 14-year-old girl when he was driving her home and that he had smuggled cocaine into the jail. Undercover B tried to further explain his concerns but was interrupted by Williams and saying, oh, God, please help me. Shut the fuck up. Quit worrying about all that stuff. Listen, I'm fixing to put it all positive, okay? Williams added, I don't give a damn if you're the biggest heroin dealer in the fucking United States. Why are you saying this? Why are you talking like this? And I just lost it. I went crazy in front of him. Well, you you come in here and make these stupid confessions to me. I'm going to give you absolution, you son of a bitch. I'm going to lick my finger and I put the sign of the cross on his forehead. And I said, go in peace, my son. Doing my best imitation of, of a priest speaking in Latin. He was sitting there wide-eyed and getting more panicked by the minute. And then finally, I just got right down in front of his face and put my nose right next to his. And I said, you about ready to stop this crap and go catch your airplane. And, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. And he grabs his backpack and runs out the door. And then here comes five federal agents in bulletproof vests. They had this long, drawn-out search warrant all printed up. And they told me, well, you know, this can all be over today if you just if you just cooperate. And I said, man, I don't know what you mean by cooperating. I don't know what I've done. Well, we, can you will you talk to us about this? And I said, well, no, I don't. I'm not talking to you at all. You call my attorney. Well, up front at 9.30 tonight, a federal investigation has targeted Doug Williams' work. Williams says the federal government alone spends $150 million on polygraph screenings for people working with classified information. But points to the recent cases of Bradley Manning and Edward Snowden as proof the polygraph is far from a foolproof way to stop intelligence leaks. Williams and another anti-polygraph crusader are under federal investigation for their role in teaching techniques to pass the so-called lie detector. I do not and will not knowingly assist anyone to lie or train anyone to lie. But by far the majority of people who are called liars are innocent, truthful people that are falsely branded as liars simply because they're nervous. Williams says he refuses to teach people who tell him they want to lie and won't stop working to end the use of the machine he believes is based on faulty science. They went ahead and indicted me, and the rest of the story you know. They were, they were threatening all sorts of stuff like, okay, well, this guy, now bear in mind, he, he really wasn't applying for a job. He is already a Customs and Border Patrol agent, but he was claiming, claiming that he was trying for a job. And they were saying, okay, well, you're helping this guy get a job that he wasn't qualified for. And this job pays $60,000 a year, and he'll be working there for 30 years. So you're going to have to forfeit to the government 30 times $60,000. <laughs> 
Uh, boy, they can bring some pressure to bear on you. And so, you know, it's one of those deals where I said, okay, shoot up here amongst us. One of us got to have some relief. I got, I pled, I pled, I pled guilty trying to save myself from being in debt to the government for like $17 million. <laughs> Now, you were a trained interrogator for many years in, in, the, in the police department. This was, this was your job. You're, you're a professional. Uh, I mean, couldn't you tell if a, if a client was unscrupulous? <laughs> Boy, that's, you name me one person on the face of this earth that isn't unscrupulous in one degree or another. So how am I going to determine the degree of unscruples? Give me a dying break. You know, you, you're a trained interviewer. Can you tell at what point I'm BSing you and what point I'm not? No, you can't, and nobody can, in spite of what they say. Okay, so I just want to go back and um, when you first started out training people, did you have any ground rules for yourself? No, I had no ground rules because I saw the n- never saw the necessity of having any ground rules because no one ever came in and told me they were going to lie, and I never told anyone I was going to teach them how to lie. And you didn't ask any questions? <laughs> okay, you're going to paint me in whatever corner you want to paint me. You just go ahead and paint me. But I never told anyone to lie, nor did anyone tell me they were going to lie, and the government knows that very well because they've interviewed 5,000 people that I trained. Not one of them ever told me they were going to lie. So, and, uh, okay, good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mounting a criminal investigation against you. Well, you certainly are. You're sitting there saying that it was incumbent upon me to inquire as to whether or not a person's guilty of a crime when they come in and learn about how to pass a polygraph test. It is not incumbent upon me to do that. That is not my job, nor is it my responsibility. I'm neither ethically or legally required to do that. I never crossed any lines. What lines did I ever cross? None. Hello. Hey, Doug, how you doing? <laughs> well, I'm 71 years old and I'm in a federal prison. How the hell do you think I'm doing? <coughs> Uh, I, I was uh, <clears throat> sentenced to two years. Uh, I've got about another four or five months before I finish my uh, sentence. You hear all the racket in here? 250 guys crammed into a two-story building about the size of a small apartment complex, uh, living in uh, 12 to 9 rooms, two men to a room. So it's always, in the background, a constant uproar. I mean, I'm in here with a bunch of nonviolent drug offenders, or, uh, crooked bankers, tax tax cheats. <laughs> this is a work prison. All I have to do is clean the windows in the uh, visiting room at the administration building. So it takes me about 15 minutes and then I'm done. So then I go out and work out. I work out twice twice a day. My goal is to uh, leave here in better shape physically, emotionally, spiritually uh, than I was when I came in here if for no other reason than uh, show them they can't beat me. But I stay pretty busy. I do a lot of reading. Just parenthetically, uh, prisoners are probably the best uh, reviewers of literature that there is because that's all they do is read. I mean, they spend hours and hours and hours reading. So, but Have anyway, you given so, any yeah. training? Well, yeah, I've trained quite a few people, Yeah, uh, including some of the uh, the officers here because it turns out 
they are subjected to polygraph examinations on occasion themselves. And you just do it without a polygraph machine? You just do the mental imaging oh, stuff? I can stuff? do it. I can do it. I can teach them without a polygraph. I've done it for years. Do you like do it in, in the cafeteria or in your room? Or? Oh, wherever. I beat them everywhere. Do you feel that if you have like indirectly helped someone actually deceive a polygraph operator, that that's like a small price to pay for undermining this machine? Well, let's put it this way. I have proved conclusively that the polygraph is absolutely worthless as a lie detector. So if there's a crime committed here, the crime is the fraud perpetrated by the polygraph operators in convincing our government and our criminal justice system to rely on an instrument that they know and I have proven is absolutely worthless. So that's so that sounds like a like a yes. Well hell yes. I've warned them, I have told them, look, this is how I can teach someone to beat your damn machine. I've been doing that for over thirty years. So yes, not only have I taught people to lie I have noised it about that I am able to do that and that do it with a great deal of frequency. So stop using that damn thing. So you kind of feel like they, they, they're getting what they've got coming to them, basically. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything you want to add before we call it a day? No, just... Uh reiterate once again that I am in fact a political prisoner. I am in prison because I have protested the loudest and the longest against the polygraph. Now, if they think throwing me in prison for a couple of years is going to stop me from doing that, they are terribly wrong. If you think I protested the loudest and the longest before, wait till I get out. Are you going to... Are you? Are you planning to change up your approach in any way? Absolutely not. I happen to be telling the truth. And I happen to be dealing in facts. And my friend, facts are real stubborn things. They're lying. I'm telling the truth. I can prove it. And they know it. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Jacob McClellan of KGOU, Anna Adlerstein, Stephen Jackson, and Mark Ristich of Snap Judgment. Special thanks also to Ira Glass, Jonathan Menhibar, Karen Duffin, Sean Cole, and Joe Rosenberg. Love and Radio is produced by Stephen Jackson, Jesse Carrier, and myself. We are a production of PRX's Radiotopia, whose executive producer is Julie Shapiro. Radiotopia's founding sponsor is The Knight Foundation. Season 6 is coming at you next month, so stay tuned. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You don't have to use the standard one that comes with your phone. There's lots out there, so check them out. Anyway, thank you for listening. See you again soon.
For more information about new Love & Radio episodes, go to luminarypodcasts.com.